1: Drivers, we've all been there. Music is up, the road is clear, or you're finding gaps through all the slow moving piles. So your momentum is up. So is your mood. The sun may even be shining at just the right angle. Minimal solar glare here. And then, Bam. Sometimes you know. You crest a hill, and there's an idling cruiser just waiting to make a kill. In other cases, the blue lights wind up in your mirror from out of nowhere. I once came steaming up on a speed trap at such an obviously guilty rate of speed that the state trooper started walking toward my car, pointing me to the shoulder, in the lane of travel. I personally have a lot of feelings about speed enforcement, but we're not going to talk much about them. I'm Dan Roth, and this is a special edition of the Wheelbearings podcast. I'm talking with John Dandro and Randy Bader from Redenso Radar. But before I get to the interview, let me set the stage. For decades, If you had your emotions stirred by speed trap experiences, your recourse was to get a radar detector. And for decades, detectors have been about the same. At its core, a radar detector has been a precisely tuned radio looking for energy in the frequency bands that speed detection systems use. It's been a cat-and-mouse game. As detection improved, the companies making speed enforcement tools also got more clever. They added different frequencies, out of the range of current detectors on the market, and they created instant-on gear that is harder to sniff out, and laser is quite a bit harder to detect. All of those moves give speed enforcement an edge until the detection industry catches up. The first radar detectors weren't that sensitive or very smart. And it's still common to have a city mode to reduce false alerts from automatic doors, road signs that display your speed, and other stray radio interference. But electronic components keep shrinking, costs keep dropping, and new technologies such as GPS and phone app integration have made the latest radar detectors smarter than ever. But you can only cut so many facets in any single diamond. The pace of innovation seemed to have slowed to a trickle when I recently gathered a bunch of detectors together for a test. I had units from Uniden, Whistler, Motorola, but I couldn't get a Valentine one, which has been the benchmark for many years. Uh, I also had my first contact with Verdenso. They're a pretty new brand I hadn't heard of, and the performance of their detectors was impressive. Redenso makes a few models. The cheapest is under 300 bucks. The winner of my test was a long range unitin model with a fancy multicolored display. It had arrows and a hefty price tag that was closer to a thousand dollars than it was away from it. But the Redenso stuff managed nearly identical performance with a few less features and a much better value. So that's what started me paying attention to this newish player in a stagnant industry. At CES in November of 2019, Redenso introduced a new kind of detection technology that fundamentally changes how it's done. They're using an artificial intelligence platform they're calling Ray, and it's expensive now, but this approach is born out of the reality of 2019, not 1973. So simply put, there's more computing power available for less money than ever before. So instead of making another carefully tuned but ultimately dumb box, Redenso has created an artificial intelligence platform to protect you from the revenue people. At its core, it starts with a horn, an RF collector, essentially that's an antenna designed and optimized for the high frequency radiation that speed systems use. So far, same as it ever was. But then all the power is in the software. The first step is a software-defined radio that scans a broad spectrum all at once. And then a Linux computer is on board to sort it out. The AI is looking for particular signal signatures. Every unit has a telltale fingerprint and that's just physics. So every radar gun, every laser gun, every detection technology, if you train the AI, it's going to know what it is. So instead of energy detected, lighting up a light and beeping a buzzer, Redenso's AI can tell you which brand and model it has found. Sounds amazing, right? I wanted to know more, and luckily Redenso wanted to tell me more. I'm here with uh, John Dandro and Randy Bader from Redenso Radar. If you guys are radar detector people, you're you're car people too, I hope, right? Uh, Please, tell me your car people.
2: (laughs) I think every single person here uh, owns one or more enthusiast-level cars. I have a BMW M2 that's heavily modified for the track, although not as heavily modified as Randy's actual race car. And then I daily a Golf R.
1: Oh, those are those are two really good very German choices. <laughs> <laughs>
3: they're they're both blue as well, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Randy, what's what's your race car?
3: Um, I've got a 2001 uh Subaru Impreza uh coupe that's been uh pretty much converted to a a fun track car. It's got a cage, uh WRX swap. Um Fuel cell, running e 85 um, AP racing stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. AP racing brakes. Essex brakes are awesome. Uh, yeah, the, the whole nine yards pretty much. Um, been building it for about 11 years now.
2: Randy's actually a, a Subaru ambassador. Oh,
3: you are! That's awesome. <laughs> I I
1: spoke with a guy who was a Subaru ambassador because he had the one of the. Um, I, it's actually through through another article I was doing. Uh, he had one of the oldest brats, I guess, in the in the country in the U.S. And so. Oh wow,
3: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, Subaru was like, we're going to show that car right alongside all these other uh, early Subaru like racers and stuff. So it was, it's really neat. I, that level of enthusiasm. It's it's so that's that's two solid enthusiast choices. What's your daily driver though?
3: Uh, mine is the Toyota Forerunner.
1: Okay, all right. That's uh, at least it's not, you know, you could have said something boring. So that's <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. Well, For- he, he's he's got to tow the Subaru or something. Right, uh, exactly. And the Forerunner has character. So let's let's get through it uh, too. So, what's your background? I guess before radar detectors, or did you always kind of? Um, And I guess more specifically for John, because I I saw some videos of you out at SEMA introducing the the latest and greatest, uh, your AI-based tech, which looks really, really fascinating, and we'll get to that. Um, But what's your background before you got into radar detectors specifically?
2: So that's, that's a question that I always chuckle a little bit when people ask because I actually have a classical piano performance degree, so I like to tell people I'm a, I'm a failed pianist. However, <laughs> um, I've been an electronics hobbyist my whole life as well as a car enthusiast my whole life. Um, it's funny how much it, – it's actually funny how I realize now that hobbies I started when I was younger, such as building my own uh, amplifiers for audio or, or own DACs, as they call them. Yep. Um, or, you know, modifying computers, on, uh, overclocking them, et cetera. Those are things that kind of gave me the fundamental understanding of signals um, that I use every day in my job. So, failed DNS, electronics hobbyist, and now somehow a radar
1: detector company owner. Uh, that all fits. Uh, they, every, every single one of those vibrates. So, <laughs> that's really like at the end of the day, right? Like that's what a radar detector is. It's a, it's a vibration detector. Um, all right. So, and then the Verdenso origin story—does that dovetail with that, uh, or or how did you get involved?
2: Yeah. So back in college, I invented a product uh, called the No Photo, and this is something that. Um, in a lot of ways my cousin gave me the idea for her. my cousin is not a car enthusiast but she lived in washington dc and one day at a holiday party she was complaining about how many of uh the photo tickets she would get in the mail you know those cameras that automatically yeah. uh, take pictures of you speeding and then mail you a fine and she was getting them for going seven or eight miles per hour over the limit on big four-lane highways and it, i realized that if that was the problem she was having a lot of other people probably were too and the system seemed pretty primitive to me um, uh, from a technological level. And with a couple of friends, I prototyped uh, some different technologies to defeat them and came up with the no photo, which was basically a device that sits underneath your license plate, sensed the flash of a camera, and then fired back with its own flash. That product gained a crazy amount of viral attention. Um, I think I kind of got lucky that it, automatic enforcement was a really hot button issue at the time. Um, there were a lot of Supreme Court, uh, state Supreme Court cases that were going on, and people, it was something that just kicked off a lot of drivers. I guess this idea that mm-hmm. not a live police officer would give you a ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that product, the technology behind it was great. Um, we ended up having quality control issues on the water side because I didn't know what I was doing. I I'd never brought a product to market before. You know, I, I did a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, raised some cash, prototyped it myself. And then ended up hiring um, some more professional engineers to help me bring it to market. But it was just a huge learning experience. I mean, I'd I'd never done that before.
1: Yeah. Well, now you get an, another another bite at the apple <laughs> with Rainer Exactly. And, um, well,
2: and, and, and that really is how I look at it. I mean, the the mistakes that I made during that development cycle um, helped me learn a lot for this, and also introduced me to the industry connections, the capital connections that enabled me to purchase Redenso, uh, which was a very small company. It was actually a, a husband and a wife that started it and then grow them by, you know, double-digit multiples over the last couple of years into a real player in the industry.
1: Well, And the industry is really interesting, too. It must be in this place. Maybe you can speak to it a little bit because we're in this age of creeping automation uh, where, you know, dynamic cruise control should just drive the car for you on the highway, right? So what's the need? What's the the sort of case you can make for a, a radar detector and then just the increasing level of, of technology and sophistication that you need to put into detectors.
2: I think that to your first point, I kind of separated into two categories I, and one of them I'll call the more visceral reaction. And then the other one's a more intellectual argument for radar detectors from a visceral standpoint. I think one of the things that's not unique to Americans, but is, is kind of uh, I guess we focus on sometimes is we just don't like being told what to do necessarily, Uh, (laughs) especially if if we can't, we can't really see why it makes sense. Right. Obviously there's, there's certain laws in society that nobody has a problem with. Don't, don't murder people, you know, that that's obvious. But when it comes down to, you know, you're a felon for going 21 miles per hour of the speed limit in some states, but not 19, uh, I think people look at that and say, why? This is ridiculous. You know, this might be a money grab or there are some other ulterior motives. And people like independence and radar detectors are a tool that help people um, enjoy driving more and kind of speak to that, that visceralness of freedom. Uh, from an intellectual standpoint, one of the things that got me interested in, it was really learning the history of speed limits in the United States. And it's really interesting how a lot of it ties back to the gas crisis a couple of decades ago that's when a lot of the national speed limits were first put into place a lot of states didn't even have speed limits Um, montana was one of them and it's interesting to see how a lot of them were not based on safety uh, like we all assume they were but were really kind of forced by the federal government um, by threatening to withhold transportation funding it was really fascinating and i'm not going to go into all the boring details here but i think when you look at how something came about Um, sometimes it gives you more clarity on on where things currently stand.
1: Why a unitasker in the age of smartphones too? Like there's apps that go along with some of the the radar detectors, um, but isn't there a way where you could do this with crowdsourcing like ways or some other app of, of, you know, do you still need to have something like another physical device that you stick in the windshield, you know, next to your easy pass or whatever, you you know, it seems almost archaic. To some folks, that you know, I've got to buy this thing that only does one thing. Uh, so, I, I guess you know, sort of back out from that too. Can you can you give us a uh, a solid explanation for that? Why there's a unitasker?
2: Yeah. So, I actually agree with you that I also feel like archaic that we have to buy buy a device that does one thing. But there is also a reason that we still must buy a device in the first place. <laughs> uh, things like Waze are an awesome
3: tool. I mean. Randy, you use Waze all the time, right? I do, but it's just something you can't use by itself because exactly. you can be driving one day and there's uh, a somewhat In rural areas. Yeah, uh, like police are actually moving. So, uh, you know, LA works well if the police are stationary and then the police do not sit there for very long. And then you also have people that actually will mark police and they actually mean it for the wrong side of the road. So you're slowing down. It's just it,
2: It's a layer of protection. And I would always recommend using one in addition to a radar detector, but you can't rely on it in all situations. Now, the reason that you still do need a physical device is simply because of the frequency that police radar is transmitted on um, police radar is mostly in K A and K bands, although there is some X band still around and just due to those frequencies, the size of the antennas that you need to correctly pick them up um, are a significant portion of the size of the phone themselves. So, while phones are certainly fast enough nowadays to handle all that processing internally, there's no real uh, good way to kind of build that level of sophistication into a phone that can actually have the hardware to detect police radar itself. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but that's one of the reasons that our new detector is actually a, a total break from everything else in the industry. And we're actually designing it as a Linux computer with a radar horn attached that just so happens to fit. In a traditional radar detector shell. Yeah,
1: I've actually I've got a nice question about that approach because I was really impressed with that actually. Um, and and to talk about some of the details, it really does. It's a completely different way of of sort of sensing um, what's out there. Uh, and you know, what's the challenge of of you know packaging this thing? Um, and then cars are surrounded by uh, and not the, not your new one, just the, like your your existing detectors um, of you've got this very sensitive device. It's looking for all kinds of radio frequency and it's bombarded by just the cars around it too. Right? Like I had, um, I did a detector test and I think it was, it was another brand and the laser headlights in the BMW. I was driving that week tortured it. I couldn't run the headlights with the detector on it. would just pick them up for some reason or, or it just yep. something about it just freaked it out. And, and so like, how, how do you, how do you deal with that?
2: So that's, Kind of a more profound question even. So when I was raising capital, uh, which I knew we needed to invest in Tiradenso, I had talked to a lot of investors. And it was interesting because they all kind of pigeonhole, a lot of them pigeonholed me as a product guy in almost a negative way. Uh, they say, "Are you too much of a product guy. You're too much of a product guy. The radar detector and she's dying. Well, you know, I'm not going to invest capital there. And it always struck me odd that people would, would say product guy in a negative way. Uh, for being wanting to focus, focusing so much on the quality of the product. And I think that this industry is mature, not because people don't want radar detectors, but because of the problems that you just brought up. They're mature because the products don't solve the need for the drivers or the customers like they did 20 years ago. 20 years ago, radar detectors were a huge industry, but there was also no false uh, false alerts coming from these vehicle safety systems and cars. It started
3: with the traffic sensors all over the highways. Yes. And then it spread to all the blind spot monitoring systems. Radar radar
2: cruise control. Now a lot of the drones, the traffic drones, use modulated radar signals for statistics. This stuff is is growing, and, you know, there's radar pollution is everywhere. So as you said, these devices, which haven't really changed in, in just 20 years due to the anti-competitive nature of the industry they're running 50 megahertz processors to to try to do all their <laughs> processing. It's, I don't know how, how technical, um, I don't want to go too technical, but there's more power in a Fitbit than there is in every radar detector on the market. And that seems crazy to me in the day and age when these things are selling for $600 all the way up to, you know, three or $4,000 for a custom installed system. So when we started this product project, I wanted to make sure that we took a completely clean slate approach and tried to solve the problem from an ideal standpoint, instead of just saying, okay, here's the traditional processors, here's the traditional form factor, let's just make a slightly better version of our competitors. We said, no, clean slate design, we define the problem space first, and then optimize the hardware to solve that problem. And I think that's what led us to having such a different platform than everybody else and using artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating. But you know, let me let me touch on the the comment though about uh, the industry dying. Randy, you you handled the marketing side of, of things, and the ind- is it dying or is it really like is it more of like the industry is, is sort of strangled by a lot of big players that aren't really doing much? They've they've got that mature technology and they're not really innovating too much unless they're pushed.
3: Yeah, I feel like um, I mean, we still have people out there that think they actually think radar detectors are illegal. There's a lot of people just that are actually just not, you know, they don't have the knowledge of how radar detectors work. So I think that also doesn't help, you know, with radar detectors, but. Well, I mean, how many, how many big, how many competitors do we have? Two, three? There's two or three competitors
2: in the industry. And two of them came from the same company originally, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess to his point, there's, it's kind of been a situation where there was only two or three players involved and, they are both just kind of printing money. And if you don't have a lot of competition, then you don't have to spend a lot of money to I in, mean, to innovate when yeah. It's just, just how Uber came about. That they're cranking know? out profitable products. Yeah. Even if they're not ideal, there's no competition. And yeah, people are stuck with them.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean what's what's your what's your sales pitch when you're trying to um, when you're trying to explain to your mom? But, but well, she probably already knows. But like, <laughs> like but, but like, what you do and, and why the things that you make are uh, still relevant and still um, useful and not illegal. The only I think the only place where you can't use them is DC right now. Correct.
3: Yeah, yeah. Virginia. Yeah, and Virginia and military bases. But you know, the one thing I get a lot of people saying is, "Why well, I drive a Prius? Why do I need a radar detector?" And you know our detectors will still alert you of red light cameras, speed cameras. And not only that, but there are times where you're going to be speeding and you don't even know what the speed limit is and somewhere you might not be familiar with. And it might just be a, a ability to, like, okay, maybe I should check my speed. And then, sure enough, you look down, you slow down just in case, and then a cop's approaching. So, I mean, it's not really just for people who are – feeling the need for speed, but it's for everyday people.
2: And, I mean, with the investment level of what an entry-level detector costs, if it saves you from one ticket, it's already more than paid for itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get a decent detector for 200 or $300. I think our XP is $249. Is it the most advanced in the world? No. But is it going to save you from a ticket? Even if it does once over a five- or six-year period, you're, you're way ahead financially.
1: Mm-hmm. So what's the most important thing for a detector to do? Like, what, if you're looking for one... I guess, like what's the, because they all have different features, but like sort of the most baseline, most important, single most important thing that that you could say to be on the lookout for.
2: So I, I, I kind of want to clarify, too, that even my own current products, which do not use AI, those are kind of the same style as my competitors. So I, I don't want to make this like a, a me versus my competitors product. Sure. I kind of want to make this about future technology versus all current detectors, including ours. And I think that right now um, you really can't have it all with with our current product or our competitors. You generally have to pick a trade-off between uh, minimizing false alerts, range, um, and then features. Uh, I would say right now for me, I'm just looking for a really good mixture between enough range to always protect me, even in tough terrain, which is defined as hills, things that could block the radar signal, but also good enough false alert filtering Where it doesn't drive me crazy and i think there's a couple of detectors out there nowadays uh, both for me and my competitors that satisfy that in the future uh the way that we design our new platform you don't have to make that trade off anymore because we have enough intelligence and processing power to characterize signals and classify them instead of filtering and what i mean by that is if you look at an iphone and android lying on a table next to each other You'll be able to visually say, oh, that's an iPhone and that's the new Pixel 4, right? You, you just, you know, you've seen pictures your, yourself, you've seen them online, you might have handled them. Visually, it's obvious to you. That's how our new detector will look at radar. The way the current detectors look at radar is if you look at the uh, Pixel 4 and an iPhone on a table, and instead of just knowing which one it is, you tried to say, are they both rectangles? Are they both plastic? Are they both? Do they have a a dark screen or they have a color screen? And you're making all these algorithms to try to tell the difference between them. But at the end of the day, they look so similar, you might get them wrong half the time. I think that's an interesting point to make about how the AI can just look at a signal and tell what it is instead of trying to filter it based on arbitrary criteria.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I did find, even as, as I was testing, you know, the, the range was super important and that that limiting the false alarms um, was sort of the flip side of that. Like, yeah, you want something very sensitive, but you also want it to be smart enough to not go off every time you pass a, you know, a grocery store or something. And, and some of the, the traditional detectors, um, they use GPS so that th- there's known locations you can log them in. You know they've, they've gotten about as smart as they can, really, with sort of the existing technology and the, the existing methods, and then bolting on other sort of you know uh, pieces like like GPS to sort of uh, make them a little smarter. Um, but your your newest detector technology that you just introduced at SEMA, uh, um, it's it's a completely different way of doing it. It's not tuned to. A specific range of frequencies, which the the sort of tradition that's been the traditional uh, way to do it. You make a radio that detects, you know, uh, other transmitters. Um, you're kind of scanning everything. It, you know, it's a, the the software defined radio, right? So you're just looking at all of the spectrum, and then you're using a powerful computer to figure out what's worth looking at.
2: That that concept is correct. So w- the way that a traditional detector was done was that all of the hardware behind the antenna which you know, we call the radio, the antenna and the circuitry. But all of the hardware behind that was really optimized for that specific range of frequencies. So um, let's just say that down the road, a new radar camera came out that scanned a little bit lower. You would have to make a hardware change and able to capture that.
1: That's the and cat that, and that's mouse
2: game. <laughs> happens, and that's happened in this industry. There's a uh, type of uh, camera often used in Canada and internationally called multi-radar. And 90% of current radar detectors, they just didn't have the hardware to be able to, to s- detect it. Um, so that's gonna happen more and more in the future. So the way that we did it was we took a modular approach. So we have uh, basically two different black boxes. One is the software-defined radio, and that's our that's our Linux computer. And then the other one is the antenna module. And these are actually, even though they're inside one box, there's actually a connector in between them. So this RF- Hardware, that Linux computer can analyze any signal. It doesn't matter what it is. RAI can receive signals from satellites and demodulate them. It can, re- it can tell if it's a, a blind spot system or it can do VHF. It can any type it's, of radio signal. It doesn't care. It's
1: like SETI. The antenna. <laughs> exactly.
2: The, the antenna, um, you could just put whatever module that we need on there as a manufacturer. And we've built the hardware so we can overscan a ridiculous range. So with our current, uh, our new detector is going to be called uh, Thea. The antenna that we're shipping with Thea will capture all radar ranges, um, X-band, K-band, K-band, multi-radar, every type of international camera. But that one isn't tuned specifically to like satellite signals, for example. But if we ever wanted to, we could just pop a different module on there and we wouldn't have to change any of our software code.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, and so that that approach means that you've had to spend a lot of time training the AI, right? To to, to understand it and and um, you've had to get different radar guns and and say this is a stalker or whatever the you know this is a yeah. X or Y gun and and go from there to to do that. So is that just a different shift from like engineering, you know, the horn and the the circuitry to detect you know to to um, detect the signal versus like and spending the time building the AI and training it. like You're, you're just you're putting the time in a different area now?
2: Yeah, so the, from a software perspective, the only thing that our AI, uh, which we're branding, Ray, stands for Redento AI, the only thing that uh, Ray cares about is that the hardware is fast enough to uh, run her with sufficiently low latency. And this is really cool because we've been able to use production code Uh, for really a year and a half now during development because it's just linux right it doesn't care just like mac OS X runs on a variety of different laptop configurations whether it's a 2012 mac or a 2019 mac that's how the software we've built works as well so we can run our our production ai on a computer running linux like a full-blown dell laptop or something um, or we can run it on the actual radar detector hardware which is an arm processor uh, so we've been able to develop very quickly and, and really iterate and spend a lot of research and development time training that AI. Um, in a lot of ways, it's it's what the automotive industry is moving towards in general with self-driving car technology. I mean, if you look at the hardware, um, for example, that Tesla using, they're using a lot of similar FPGAs and a lot of the similar hardware that, that we're using to accelerate that AI um, but it's it's kind of funny. I mean, it's it's the way that the OEM world is moving too, and I think we're one of the first aftermarket devices to kind of head in that direction as well.
1: Yeah, well, and FPGA is uh, field programmable gate array, right? So that's a very flexible um, platform. You can make that do. You can be, you know filters or signal conditioning or whatever you need it to do you can you can make it do that um so it it sounds like you've really thought about sort of future proofing and um making something that's that's flexible and that you can update later has there have you come up with any other uses that you can talk about (laughs) um for this tech like it actually seems like autonomy and autonomous driving is a really good place that you'd want something to be aware of the signals around it and uh, not necessarily just for for avoiding speeding tickets, but just knowing what's going on.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that I decided to do was actually we're going to make a commitment to open source some of our uh, code, our user interface code, because we've used a lot of open source tools during development of this that fundamentally changed how I viewed signals and signal processing, right? And that was made possible by these very generous people essentially that created these tools and allowed me to use them for free and i don't think those people who made those tools ever thought that it would be used to build a radar detector (laughs) so that got me thinking you know if i'm giving people what is not really a radar detector but a a linux computer uh, with a signal processing capability in a car what else could that be used for um and i'm certain that You know We're not smarter than the rest of the world. We're not smarter than the internet. There's going to be somebody out there who's going to figure out a novel use for this platform, and we want to make sure that we give them the opportunity to develop for it. Um, Selfishly, off the top of my head, I can think of a few other applications. Uh, I know that when we go to the track here at Redenso, we like knowing our lap times. And it's kind of interesting, but if you look at uh, popular lap-timing devices like like the AIM products, the AIM Solo or the SmartyCams or even Harry's Lap Timer, which is an app, um, they're pretty expensive, usually hundreds of dollars. And even the ones that use your cell phone, you have to buy a dedicated GPS for because the GPS inside your cell phone doesn't update fast enough to be useful. It only does it one time a second or one hertz. Well, thinking ahead, I spent the money and put a 10 hertz GPS inside this radar detector. So, it's it's conceivable that with a few days of, of coding, somebody will be able to say, "Hey, I want to use this radar detector as a high-performance lap timer." Um, go ahead, you know, develop it. If we don't do it first, because I make my engineers. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just the type of thing where we wanted to overbuild the hardware um, compared to what a normal radar detector would be, and then open it up to the community and say, "Here you go, it's a Linux computer and a it's an aftermarket Linux computer in a car." Have
1: fun. Yeah, I mean that's that's fascinating. Have you had any interest from OEMs at all about, say, integrating it into the car? Because it, that's like the holy grail of, of detection systems is the ones that are very cleanly installed. Uh, they're not stuck to the windshield. So, um, but
2: so it, it's an interesting space. I know. <laughs> so th- this industry has allowed me to make friends with some a decent amount of executives in the automotive industry. Uh, it's actually especially interesting how many. Interesting people you meet at the track. Um, Oh, yeah. But even though all of those executives use these products personally, I think from a company standpoint, some of them may be afraid of liability. And I think that's why I'd be surprised if in the near future we saw any kind of speeding devices integrated into cars. I think it's just a liability thing.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's too bad. I mean, think of the the potential. You get your C eight Corvette with the the special edition. I oh, okay, I'm dreaming. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but I mean, it sounds like uh, the best case for de- radar detectors in 2020 is just that there's there's a lot still left in the space, and a lot that you can you can still expect them to be doing and, you know, things you haven't even thought up yet are, are coming, you know, how does it work when you're, you're figuring out how to improve the product and features to add? Is it just word of mouth or is it like, again, the track day stuff or, or, uh, you know, how we do you dream use it our up? products? We, use-
2: we, first and foremost, we use our products. We are our customers. We're building these products because we were all let down by the products in the space. And you know that that's a decision that I I make even when we're hiring I try to hire people that kind of fit that philosophy that if they see a problem they're they're going to go ahead and take initiative and attack it themselves and come up with solutions to fix it. We we try to really avoid being a passive company in that constant improvement regard. And then you know we're the we're the first layer. We build the products that we want, but there's actually a pretty amazing community around radar detectors um, and countermeasures, speeding countermeasures in general. We participate in a lot in the website uh, called uh, RD form. It's a, basically a big message board, similar to any of the other car forms that I participate mm-hmm. on um, where people test these products and they discuss them, they rip them apart, they do tear downs. And I, I think some companies are afraid of that, um, because there's some really smart people out there, and they will tear apart your product, and they'll find every, every corner that you cut, um, every compromise that you, that you made. But we consciously try to say, okay, we're not perfect, no product is, but these people have a point. Let's see what we can do to, to take their advice and build the product that they want to buy. And I think what that's done is created a really strong grassroots movement of support for us, um, where we say, we're not perfect, but we're, we'll commit to you that we will try to be perfect.
1: Well, that reverse engineering is important too. I mean, it's that's part of uh, you know how you guys figure out what to make the thing do anyway. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the guys at, at the radar gun companies are less than fond of, <laughs> of your activities.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's surprising how slow. I think we have an advantage as drivers because we don't have to deal with government contracts and all the red tape associated with that. Um, They do come out with new technologies every now and then to try to counteract us, but they can't move with the same speed that a small Agile company can. Um, I've seen a little bit more on the laser side of things. Um, There's one company in particular who will not name... Uh, but they've shaken up the industry, uh, coming out with a laser gun that was very difficult to jam. On the radar side so far, it's just mostly been that multi-radar uh, camera up in Canada that I've talked about.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I kind of forget about laser um, to a certain degree. Just, I, I've always kind of been like, if, if it's laser, they're going to get you. <laughs> that's so hard to detect, but, but maybe that's really... Um... Again, that's not the case. You can you can see the signature of the laser gun um, and and detect it, even though it's kind of this like instant on thing that, that tortures uh, other detectors.
3: Laser
2: jamming does exist, but that's a different product than radar detectors. Um, it is illegal right now, I believe, in eleven or twelve states. So you have to have a little bit more awareness about where you're driving. And the real downside why it hasn't grown as much as radar is the cost. I don't think there's an effective laser jammer. On the market for less than $1,000 for front protection plus install, which is also typically a $1,000 ordeal. So whereas you can get a decent radar detector for a few hundred dollars and it's legal everywhere except Virginia, uh, laser jamming, you've got to spend a few thousand dollars. So that's understandably a smaller market.
1: Well, and if you're jamming laser, like, are you essentially basically shooting laser back at laser to confuse it?
2: It, In a simplified way, you're absolutely right.
1: Yeah. So that's just more expensive pieces
2: anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And it has to be installed on the outside of your car and there's
1: there's rules
2: about how to install them to make sure they're effective. There are some people that DIY it, but usually you have to go to an authorized dealer to get that done.
1: I was surprisingly fascinated by it when I dug into the industry to write um, some reviews. Because, uh, I, I again, I thought that it was like, oh, it's just kind of like a stagnant market. But it's not, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to ask, like, what's, what's next? But it's, it is the beginning of 2020, and we just talked about what's next. So <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a loaded question
2: a lot of people make fun of me for saying this because they said, you should never say anything bad about your own products. But I think we're kind of a weird company where we say, yeah, we believe our products are the best relative to everybody else's, but I think they all suck, including the ones that I currently sell. <laughs> um, and I think that's really the answer to what's next is we're, we're focused on taking this technology that we we've developed and we have prototyped here, but is, is in fairness, not yet for sale. Um, uh, Focusing on getting it through production, getting it out into the field, and then coming out with, with different models at different price points and have different features to make that technology available to as much people as possible. Because really, it goes back to the, the fundamental question that I said in the beginning. Is the industry are, – are sales slow in the industry because people don't like driving or because the products aren't in, up to their standards? And I personally believe that it's the second. Uh, so if we fix that problem – I think you're gonna see a lot more buzz about radar detectors. Uh, Maybe, hopefully not even just among driving enthusiasts, but among the population at large.
1: I think it's the people who get tickets would prefer not to get tickets.
2: (laughs) And and I mean, really all that a radar detector is, is right now the trade-off is safety against ticket versus your annoyance level. And to be honest with you, with products nowadays, they're going to annoy you more times per month than you are going to get a ticket. And that's, in my opinion, is what has held back adoption of these things. Um, it's such a narrow demographic right now of customers that buy radar detectors, but that demographic is not the only demographic that gets speeding tickets. And the, the data that we have for that is mind-blowing, where you look at all these other populations that are constantly getting speeding tickets. I, my cousin, I mean, she, she's a young professional. She's a female. She is not a car enthusiast. And she was getting three or four of these tickets every couple months. Of course she wants a radar detector. But yeah. when I loaned her one, it beeped all the time. She said, I can't deal with this. But if you take away that problem, all of a sudden you've opened up the market to a lot more people.
1: Right, right. Well, that's, it'll be fascinating to watch. Um, and for those of us that love to drive, uh, I, I like having it. Um, and maybe with autonomous cars, making things easier for the people who don't want to drive, there'll be more room for us to actually go and drive. That's that's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Um, all right. Well, so, uh, John Dandro, Randy Bader from uh, Redenso. thank you for spending time with us on uh, Wheel Bearings. And, uh, you know, look forward to the next developments from you folks. Thank,
2: thank you, you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to Wheel Bearings. The whole crew will be back soon. We'll talk about what Sam and Rebecca saw at CES this year. In the meantime, Find us at wheelbearings.media and on Twitter as at wheelbearingscast. Remember, there's only one vowel, that's the A in cast. We're also at carreviewtweets Review Tweets on Twitter. Or you could just email us. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. Music on this episode is from freemusicarchive.org and used under a Creative Commons license. Tracks are P's Core by Poddington Bear. And the third by Anatech. We also borrowed a little bit from The Who. I hope they don't mind. Thanks again for listening to Wheelbearings.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.